Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza, and on this episode of the Your Life, Your Term show, I sit down with Joey Tweets, who is one half of the Canadian Bitcoiners. Him and Len host the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. It goes live Mondays at seven o'clock. If you are not checking it out yet, I would definitely do that. You can find it on YouTube. You can find their podcast, podcast sorry, on any podcast platform. And Joey came in here, and I really appreciate that he did this because I enjoy talking to people who are intelligent and not scared to share their opinions. And he definitely has a lot of opinions on a lot of different things and we dive into it. So we talk about millennials and what millennials are thinking about their future and careers and real estate and what country they're gonna live in. We talk about all these different subjects. Some of the subjects that I never thought I'd discuss on this podcast, like where do we all think we're gonna be living, you know, 10, 20 years from now and is it Canada? So just interesting things that honestly, a few years ago, I, I really didn't think I would ever be discussing. But anyway, we get into that here. We obviously talk about Bitcoin and money and saving and purchasing power and the whole bit. We even talk a, a little bit about his uh, his squatting and his Achilles rehab um, and some bench press stuff. So we get into all wild and wonderful subjects. You can find him on Twitter at Joey Tweets. That's at J-O-E-Y T-W-E-E-T-S, at Joey Tweets, and their podcast is the Canadian Bitcoiners Podcast. And if you are listening to this and you want to dive into the world of real estate, and I know that seems wild considering I have Joey here talking about Bitcoin, but if this is something you want to dive into, we really feel real estate is one vehicle that allows you to work the fiat money machine to the max and become a banker yourself. That's one of the primary reasons that we like real estate isn't real estate in and of itself. It's understanding the rules of the wild fiat money game and being able to purchase a property with leverage. And that leverage allows us to outpace M2 debasement and allows us to quote unquote, get ahead, get some savings, and then we can plow those savings into things like Bitcoin. So we think a comp combination of real estate and Bitcoin to us really work wonderfully together. If you want to get an information advantage on the real estate front, you can check out what we're doing as part of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership here in the greater Toronto and Golden Horseshoe area by visiting rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. On that website, we list out all the wonderful benefits that we are doing as part of the, or what you get access to as part of the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. And that again is at rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for this intro. Let's get on with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Yeah. Okay, we are now recording, Joey. Great. Temprile. 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 In Italian, you say like temprile, temprile. Temprile. And actually, some of the people who subscribe to your, what do you call it, inner circle, mm-hmm. they're friends with me from high school, and I get DMs sometimes from come people on. when I come on. Yeah, when I come on your show. Of course. You guys are popular, man. No, you're popular. Maybe, but not a lot of people like the Bitcoin stuff. You know, people like the real estate stuff. There's a they lot of They will like the this. Bitcoin stuff. They'll figure it out. <laughs> they will. They'll figure it out. No, but like I was saying, I'm getting like, I worked out this morning, I'm getting like zaps in my left tricep for the first time ever in my life. You know what a zap mm-hmm. is? I don't think like so. Kind no, of just like, sharp pain? No, no pain. It's like a, you know. Oh, really? Like a, like your a, nervous like system is just firing? flex or something, yeah. Mm. Maybe you're working out really too, no, you're young, too much. No, what is that? I don't know. Nick well, would know. Nick just lifted, uh, they did a little competition at the gym and he just lifted a thousand pounds, I guess his, I don't know, his deadlift, I think he didn't do 500. I think he did like 480. The three lifts? The three lifts. Right. Bench, um, squat. His three lifts, a lot like the debt ceiling. Eh? Just never really stalling out, always going up. 
<laughs> the squat because he hadn't prepped for this and i guess he's getting upset because now he's 45 and he's like shit i don't think i'm getting strong like i really have to commit to getting stronger from here right. and he hasn't maintained some of his lifts so his squat i think he had to hit i forget i don't even want to repeat the number because god forbid i say the wrong number and he's going to be all upset over here but whatever that squat number was he was starting to squat up and it was brutal it's tough his butt started Is coming it up his, it's like all one it's rep just maxes. all one rep maxes for a thousand pounds what can you squat one rep max me? Yeah. The most I've ever done, and it felt really good. I wish I went higher that day, was just three plates, 315. 315's good. I think the most I've done is like 345. Same thing, right? If you ever feel good enough oh. to do your one rep max, you definitely got- Gotta go. I and know, I remember I, I backed off. I'm like, why? I yeah. think driving home, I'm like, no. Should've just done one more. Took me like 12 weeks to get there. Why yeah. am I backing off? And now up? you're going to, what, wait two weeks and do it again? <laughs> like, no, you're not going to. <laughs> no, right? it never works. Exactly. The bench, I, I never, uh, I've never done bench press my, my whole, I only started going to the gym when I hit 40. I never went. Yeah, you told me that. And then uh, bench press, I had never never really because it was a crossfit gym you just don't spend time doing bench press and now i've done i did this 12 week cycle because the guy uh, dan at the gym at radix is saying he's not saying this directly but i think he's saying hey you and mike are old guys now let me change your programming a little bit mm -hmm. and he put some bench press in into it i think just for fun and i did 245 for one and that day i felt great and yeah. i'm like shit why didn't i try 250 man 250 is the, that's the most i've ever done maybe 255 now but the the thing I always try to tell myself is you, you have to like plan. It's not the day of, it's the days leading up to it. Totally. If, you, if you, like you can't do shoulders, yeah. you shouldn't be ripping hard back or like Eating, any, anything with like getting front belts. Sleep. You yeah. You yeah. can't like, because once you're under it, if you don't do it, you're going to be scarred. You, totally. you know what I mean? Like you, you have to totally. do it. If you're, yes. you're going to do it. You have it to is do going it. up. Yeah. And so I, I was actually spotting a guy at the gym a couple of days ago, monster of a guy at the crunch fitness and water down. I'm not like going to boutiques like you. I'm like one of the people, you know? And, uh, so he, he's got yeah. two. If you ever come to our place, you'll he's see what a real got, gym is, a boutique. You probably got, go to a health center. There's probably it's towels. A, it's a There's probably fitness. folded There's towels. No towel. There's probably There's no towels no towel. somewhere There's no towels. in the gym. Lock They're the probably playing TSN highlights. You can see sports highlights on the change room. Only half the TVs have cable. We have no change room. There is no TV. Wow. There is no towels. No change room. Yeah. You, as you walk in and enter the part of the gym, you have yeah. to rip your clothes off and whatever's underneath is what you're working out in. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't, I don't usually, I try not to change the gym anyway, story from the time, but this guy wanted to bench two, he had 265 on there and he's like, I need your help for just one rep. And I go, okay. And I'm thinking to myself, like you can probably, this guy can probably do 265. I don't think he's gonna have a problem with it. Oh shit. And, and he, he struggled. He didn't struggle. In fact, he didn't need me there at all. Oh, God. Like, I don't know. He, he, he didn't need a lift off. He didn't need any fingers on the nothing. Mm -hmm. And I go, never in doubt, buddy. He goes, oh, long day, blah, blah. I'm like, how could it? It's like 10 o'clock in the morning. 265, no lift off even. Wow. Pretty good. Like I know. I what know. about deadlift? Do you do deadlift at all? Is that something? I do it in my basement once in a while. Okay. Is I, there I a max you've ever? 315 is the most I'll do. Okay. So I, I did 405. You could do higher. For yeah. Sure, right. But don't, don't you find that like, if you, especially if you're doing other stuff that day, there's a lot of people, if you look through some of the big fitness names like Ripito uh, and Menser, guys I, I learn, learn a lot from, especially on the big lifts. And those guys preach more or less the same gospel that if you're going to do deadlifts, you got to do it alone. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do other stuff that day. There's no point in working yeah, it's, up for it's it. Just you don't do your... it for reps. You do it like five, three, one, 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 whatever, right? If that's what you're going to mm -hmm. do. But don't you find that the next day, it affects your lifts. Like it's really taxing. Oh. You were about to say on your nervous system. Next like it's two really days. Tough. Yeah. I'm on a heavy deadlift. I, I rarely go back heavy anymore. Now I'm just, I do much less for a little bit more reps. Don't even go close to it. In fact, yesterday, this is, might be embarrassing to, to admit. I don't really care. I did three sets of 10 at one, 
170 because I'm just, yeah, nothing. It's just, I guess for me, I'm like, shit, I'm so far away from where I was. I got to kind of work back up into it now. And uh, no, it was totally fine. You also want your hamstrings to be tight, right? Like I've been, I had a hamstring injury like last March and it still bugs me a little bit. And basically, you know, you, you know this, if, you, if you've ever done CrossFit or if you ever had like an injury and had it properly evaluated and rehabbed, anything that's in your like posterior movement chain, like your hamstrings, your calves, your ankles, whatever, the doctor and the physio and whoever will always say the same thing. You got weak hamstrings and big quads. Mm -hmm. That's your problem. If you're walking around like quadzilla, you're not gonna do anything but hurt yourself playing sports, doing squats, doing whatever, right? As soon as you get heavy, because you're gonna pull everything forward, like your quads are gonna pull everything forward. You need your hamstrings to balance that out. That's how you tear ACLs, that's how you tear mm -hmm. different ligaments in your knees. That's how you tear Achilles tendons as well. Like I found that out the hard way too. The deadlifts, if you're gonna do it for reps, I would say like do RDLs, right? Cause then you're, you know, kind of really stretching that hamstring, mm -hmm. you're engaging with it when it's at its kind of full length, stuff like that. How'd you get into all this? Honestly, I didn't know anything about working out except going to the beach looking good and having a pump until I tore my ACL when I was like 23, 24. And then you... Then I started to learn, like, this is how you're supposed to work out. You're supposed to do proper splits. You're supposed to do lunges and things like so that. So this is your own research, YouTube videos, reading. And I spent a lot of time in physiotherapy lounges, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. what else are you gonna, what are you going to talk to the guy about when you're on the TENS machine for 20 minutes? He doesn't know anything about, you know, he doesn't want to hear stories about... How nasty was the Achilles tear? I tore my full tear on my you Achilles. You did it too. It was... It's, but I think you rehab through it much faster than me. I, I, I was eight months to like sprint they've, again. They've changed the protocol so much, Tom. Uh, I did the conservative protocol, which is no surgery basically, but everything else is more or less the same. You're in a cast for two weeks. Come on. Yeah. I was six weeks. Yeah. And then a boot after that. I've said, I've told this story a bunch of times. It always makes people Two laugh. weeks. Two weeks. You walk in. You were a full tear. Full tear. Full tear. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, Dude, the, I was six weeks on crutches. They've changed things so much, man. So now if you tear your Achilles tendon and you, what they call present early. So if like 48, 72 hours have gone by and you've been resting, not walking on it, not working, not going to the gym, not wrapping it, whatever you've been resting, which is to say that it hasn't started to heal long already. All they do is put you in a cast two weeks. You come back, they bring you on a wheelchair in to get the cast out. And then they take the wheelchair away when you leave and you got to walk out crutches in a boot. And Wait a second, that boot you can walk on? Yeah. It's not pointed forward where you can't put pressure on it? It's the opposite. So the boot basically has this uh, has yep. lifts under yep. your heel. So if that's what you meant by pointed. I did. It is. All that means is you can't flex your calf, but it doesn't mean you can't load the tendon. Which See, they told me not to load. You load right away now. Two weeks, Come you on. load right away. Oh. I'll tell you. I'm the, the reason I'm reacting like this, that was such a hard protocol for me to follow. This was, it was eight months. That's why when people talk about Aaron Rodgers tearing his and he's back to play already, I tell people all the time, like, I'm not getting hit, obviously but I was back playing football in like five months what? with cleats on. And so like this is, it's doable because you load right away. I have a friend who did his ACL, MCL meniscus, same thing I did, same time I did. He was in his cast afterwards, you're in a straight cast. He was in his for two weeks. I was in mine for three days. And then after that three days, they strap a brace on you, get the Don Joy, like hinged brace, whatever. Mm -hmm. And they say, you got to walk on this every day as much as you can with the crutches and keep bearing weight, keep bearing weight, keep bearing weight. And before oh you know my it. God, I must have been the, one of the last to get the old protocol. It was super conservative. I mean, if you did it a long time ago, who knows, right? When did you do yours? I did it 10 years ago. So I, I only did mine in 21, mm -hmm. right? So, or 22, I should say, beginning of 22. And did you hear the pop when it went? I felt it. I didn't hear it. I was playing basketball, pretty loud gym. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Turn around. 
crazy. Like it's, it was such a, I felt like a, someone took a bat. To yeah. Act. Like someone kicked you in the calf. Yeah. Yeah. And I turned around, there's no one there. And immediately I'm like, Oh fuck. That's the same exactly thing that happened bad. to me. I was playing yeah. men's league soccer. I yeah. turned around. No one's there. The goalie was yeah. maybe 25 feet away. And I blamed him. I'm like, Hey, did you just kick me? Yeah. Nothing. <laughs> like, and then you can't, the worst, pe- the worst you feeling, can't, yeah. the worst feeling about it is when you take the next step, because it almost feels like it could the, for the first second, it feels like it could be a cramp right in your calf. And then you take the first step, and what does it feel? Like? Feel uh, what does it feel like? It feels like your heel is falling through the Nothing. floor. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going too far, right? And then you realize we had no subs there. in the game, and one of my buddies was like, just get some ice. We need you back on. Get Iced on. It up. Uh, I'm like, I had a guy. I can't, I can't walk off the field. The referee in our game was like this. Honest to God, like a statin manufacturer's wet dream. And he's like walking to me on the bench. He goes, just, just towel it up. Wait for the cramp to wear off. Get back out there. Walk it off. And I'm like, oh my God. Like I want to put a fucking fist through this. So then now what is your own protocol for working out? Is there a days a week that you're doing? Uh, now that I'm in Dundas, I try and do, I'm, I'm in there five days a week. And the days I'm not in the gym, usually I play football and do some mobility stuff um, as part of the warm up for the game. And then Sunday, I don't really do much. Sunday, you know. Oh, you're that active. Cons- I consume, awesome. consume seed oils and watch football on Sundays. Do you? You're yeah. all in on the seed oils yeah, once a week. Seed yeah, why not? Big I mean, seed oil guy. Getting yeah. the, you, you get a big jug of canola. Yeah. Suck it back. <laughs> you're funneling guy. canola. What's Joey doing on Sundays? He's watching football and funneling canola. I got the laptop with the Dazzin. In red zone i got the playstation 5 uh, with one game on usually or i'm playing video games and then i got my phone running fantasy football and my wife is nowhere she's not allowed to come to the basement it's my area dog is allowed that's your day wife not allowed so as a you're you're a straight up millennial right speaking to a millennial 87 yeah okay um where's that put me in the in, I have no idea. That's mid, I think. I don't think it's elder. I think elders early. I don't know. You millennials are tough. Like, remember, I'm stuck. People think I'm a boomer, but I'm actually Gen X, stuck between these boomers and millennials yeah. who are kind of pointing you're fingers 50? at each other. Are you 50? I'm 50 so right that, yeah, now. I'm you're 73. Right you're right there. Yeah, you're right there. Okay. Um, so I'm curious for you and your, or I don't know if it's you because you're. I feel like you're different than a lot of millennials I speak with, but. I'm really curious from where you sit and you look at the world, what does the future look like for you? And I want to start with just careers, just, just start with careers. Well, what is, when okay. you look forward as a millennial now, yeah. what is your frame of mind? I have, I'm entrenched in my career. I won't share what it is. You know what it is, but basically once you start in this line of work, it's maybe not difficult to leave, but you really have to know the grass is greener. If you're going somewhere else, for example, it's Wednesday morning right now you and me are recording a podcast. I'm not at work and no one's going to get upset about it. Right. I have this, op- this option, these opportunities once in a while. So you're happy with what's been presented to you. I didn't a- say I'm happy with it. I said, I'm sure that the grass is not greener anywhere else at the moment, but you know, for, I think a lot of millennials, I would include myself in this. W- w- it's not about what the next year looks like two years, because I think these days, especially in the current sort of state of affairs, how many people are willing to leave for something that's uncertain? their job, their relationship, uh, their friends, their city, their parents' basement. Like how many people are willing to make that jump? I would say the answer is like probably close to, you know, zero mm-hmm. percent, right? Whatever it is. Unless you're like sort of the top elite, elite, um, crazy skills, STEM background, whatever. I think for a lot of people, it's not the next one or two years. It's like, what does the next 10 years look like? And you know, everyone is talking about the same stuff now. You know this because of your line of work, but you know, the people are talking about inflation, housing, immigration. Let's let's go through those three things. What does that look like in the next, you know, decade, two decades for people who are starting families? Those those are important time frames, that 20 year time frame. Uh, you know, are you gonna be able to own a house if the population keeps growing at four percent a year in perpetuity? Probably not. 
Are you going to be able to stay here and get the healthcare that you're paying into, the roads you're paying into, the school you're paying into, um, any of the other social services you're paying into? Probably not. Are you going to be able to enjoy your retirement if the pension system, you know, famously, I think, you know, I think there's a new pension payment coming in. There's a second pension payment. I mean, whatever it's, it doesn't fucking matter. It's it's not going to work. Right. You know, we're talking about doubling the population by 2050. It's not going to work. The, the, the people who are talking about the pension, I think at the end of the day, there's only really one or two stats that matters. One of the key ones is, you know, 30, 40 years ago, there was seven people working for every one pensioner. Now it's something like three and a half. So you know, if that's the case, are you going to get the pension you're paying into? I don't know. Mike Campbell, who's a great uh, Canadian finance guy. You should have him on. Actually, I've been on his show a few times. He, he always makes the case that like, look, it's not about, it's not about the nominal terms of your pension. You're going to get your, you know, 3000 a month. The question is, are you going to be able to get a bag of milk or a loaf of bread? With that? Of you know, like what are you going to be able to get with it at the end of that, that time frame? And again, I think looking at how difficult it is to withdraw from a public pension, you know, if you ever try and withdraw from any of these programs and get keep that money for yourself. It's impossible to do it. You know, I'm kind of giving away where I work here, but I'll say that it's very difficult to withdraw from my pension. Uh, I have friends in the in the the same career path that I'm in. They tried to do it. They can't. Hmm. Uh, they they talk a lot about like liras and whatnot, and they want to see all this documentation about what you're invested in now, what kind of risk you're. And the end of the day, Tom, like. The only reason they don't want you out is because it's a Ponzi scheme, man. Like if you're not paying and that word gets out, you're not paying. I, I shudder to think about how much I've given to pension, healthcare, roads, um, education system, all those things I mentioned before and others I'm sure that I'm not thinking of. Over the last, you know, I've been working now on salary for close to 15 years. How much have I given to these things? Ugh, and how, how much, much have I got? Give? How much have I got back? And how much am I going to give going forward? The answer is always you know, less than what you gave, less than what you want and more than what you can afford going forward. Like this is, it's a steady, it's a steady state of affairs, right? And I think the thing that most modern governments are having problems with now is, is spinning that message positively. A lot of my friends, even the ones who aren't into Bitcoin are sending me the same stories about like, you know, Conestoga has been big in the last few weeks Mm. on Reddit. They Um, are. These guys. Okay, so words getting out about this stuff. Well, this is, this has been getting out a long time. And like like I was saying, even my non-Bitcoiner friends are going like, man, what, is going to happen here in five years or 10 years. Uh, everywhere I look, and this is not a shot at, you know, Indian immigration or African immigration. The, the point is that you're bringing in too many people from X location or Y location. It doesn't matter what color they are, what religious background. It, the point is that they can't contribute to the system at the level they need to when they get here. There's a systemic problem with making sure they're employed at a level where they can really be part of society. And so they don't become part of society at the same rate they should. And then we have to bring in more people to help mask that, right? It's just a, a cycle that goes on and on. And so why of, does this happen? To, to paper over poor GDP numbers. So you think it is a conscious decision yeah, by the government to let sure. people in, even though these universities really, there's no oversight. The universities are free to do what they want. They can do what they want, but there's no oversight by the federal government kind no. of dictating to them, hey, make sure you allow this many students. No, no, no. There. But I mean, the, you know better than most that incentives drive outcomes. And when you have a a system in place where there's not any gatekeeping in terms of who you bring in, then you're going to get the result that you're inviting, whether you make it explicit or or don't with the people who are carrying out those actions. For example, Conestoga, right? Conestoga 
made $140 million on tuition in the last 16 months. You know how many kids they brought in to come oh, to Is Soda? that what it is? Yeah, you know how many kids they brought in? <laughs> you know how many international <laughs> no, students don't. they brought in? What number would be too high? I stopped track. Conestoga's got like two you know. campuses, right? And they're like, they're like the size of this building, you know? Like they're not huge colleges. How many students would be too many for you? 100,000. 100, 30,000 they brought in in 16 months. There's a video floating around that somebody got as an ad on YouTube of a young Indian fellow talking about how he's glad he chose Conestoga for their culinary management system. I mean, he's talking about managing back end at a Wendy's basically. And he makes this point that without Conestoga, he wouldn't know how to handle a knife and cut certain kinds of vegetables. So he was paid, this is a paid ad. I mean, he must've been a a student at Conestoga. The question is, did Conestoga pay him for the ad or did they just Mm -hmm. run the ad? At the end of the day, it's their branding on the ad. And so, you know, Conestoga is doing what any rational actor in that situation would do. Can we make $140 million if we open up a bunch of one-year, you know, dog shit programs for international students who want to come here and get permanent residence? If the answer is yes, I mean, I don't have to draw the flow chart for you. We do it. <laughs> and if the answer is no, then we There's then one, we Nick and I were looking at, at the enrollment into their hairstyling program. It's a 12-month hairstyling or hairstylist Insane. program. And then half mm. the people drop out because what was happening, we came to understand, is they get here, they start taking the class, but then they get a job somewhere. And if they get a job somewhere, that allows them to kind of stay on yeah. and get permanent resident status. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of just using the course as this alternate immigration. But everybody does. And now, finally, the federal government, I think the provinces and municipalities are on board with this too, although it's way too late now, like in all cases with these these levels of government. They're saying that you can only work 20 hours a week. And I think rightfully so, international students are up in arms going, hey, we need 40 hours a week because yeah, I can't afford right. to live in my zero window, zero bed, zero bath basement apartment. You know, I'm pissing in a storm drain and taking a shower at school. Every second Uber ride I take right now is somebody who came here in that capacity and is yeah. saying that they want to leave Canada now. Um, on that on that note, on the uh, schools, uh, rents, this is what I want to tell you, oh, rents man. on student rentals, just so you know, like... It was just a few years ago we were renting out rooms for like 600 650 we're like holy shit this is getting pretty pricey at western right now it's pretty regular to do a thousand some rent rooms are renting out twelve hundred dollars a room how big are i mean that's a bedroom yeah and the 1200 ones have an ensuite washroom okay. so they have a washroom attached but it's not like you know terrible i guess just when we started in this nick and i have owned student rentals for a long time it was 325 yeah so to see it at 1200 now just confirms a lot of the things that you already know just about money they're monetizing an asset right and i think when i went to brock uh you know shout out badger badger nation um i think i was paying 400 or 450 and i remember my dad at the time wanted to buy a rental because my brother had plans to go there with his girlfriend they broke up and he ended up going there but the uh the funny thing is that if I look back at that time, my dad was would, would always tell me like, don't don't bring me to see anything that's going to cost six hundred dollars a month. I'm not paying that. Five hundred is the max. Five fifty if it's like on a bus route or you can make the case, but six hundred is too much. And now they're you know everything's that much. The funny thing, and you guys are suffering from this, I am sure. Yeah, uh, you know everyone points at you guys as part of the problem when it comes to housing. And, oh yeah. Or or like the boomers. Oh, the boomers have unearned wealth. And by the way, if your brother. Uh, ever has that guy on again? The uh, I haven't listened to it yet. It's fucking brutal. We'll talk. I want to talk about that. <laughs> add it to the list. I'll add it to the list. So the yeah the uh, whatever universal was the UBI guy slash, uh, yeah. slash okay, what do you say? I haven't listened it's, to it's it. Land tax or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Floyd, Floyd yeah. Marinescu. I'm sure he's a nice enough guy, but I think he's wrong with a lot of things. Anyway, that aside, um, you're seeing people complain about you guys causing this problem. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, everyone, and I've tweeted this a bunch, you've tweeted this a bunch, everyone, if you ask them, whether it's a kid who's coming out of high school, a kid who's going into uh, his family life or his career, a kid who's about to start a family, or someone in their 40s who's trying to save for retirement or think about helping and legacy and things like that, their kids, everyone will articulate the problem differently. I need to invest and save. Mm, that's a good way to frame it. Everyone, you know, I, I need to buy this house because it's the second stream of income. I need to make sure that I have two jobs so I can pay for university because the tuition's higher than it used to be. Everyone's articulating the problem differently, but the problem is the same. The money is losing value and everyone is trying to find ways to stay in assets that are going to appreciate during that depreciation on the other side. It's, that is the problem. I don't understand how you understand that. From Bitcoin, what? How else could you learn, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't, if you don't so that's know, where you came to the understanding. For sure. So how did you get? Wait, let me understand then. How did you fall into the Bitcoin rabbit hole then? When I was in uh, my late twenties, I had a buddy of mine at work, Dan, uh, who we've you know we used to look at Bitcoin all the time for like two years. We looked at it and we were just kind of laughing like this is nuts. I don't know what people are using this for <laughs> tulip dark mania, web, dark yeah, web. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. even tulip mania. Yeah, yeah. It was like dark web. We yeah, were just yeah. in dark web. Yeah, stuff, got right? it, got it. And we're like, this is so cool. Like I don't. <laughs> Because neither, it's funny because like I don't, I'm not a drug guy, but but like I, I would imagine yeah, yeah, going on the dark web, yeah. it's like, wow, you can get all this shit, a passport, a murder, like whatever, right? It's all available. It's on, it's in the catalog. And uh, we, we were like, Bitcoin, so Bitcoin is what they want. And we're looking at this thing and at the time we didn't know how to get it. And then eventually we found out about Coinbase through another friend of mine. And uh, we started buying, you know, back in 2017, 16, 17, I forget when. And then Len, obviously my co-host on the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast, started to buy too. We all worked together. And before you know it, oh wow! before you know it, we're all in. And it's it's that meme, right? You come for the number go up, but you stay for the monetary sovereignty and the mm -hmm. technology mm -hmm. associated with like a deflationary, not deflationary, but like a, you know, a steady state currency basically. And I think a lot of people don't, they don't fall into the Bitcoin rabbit hole for sure. But I think a lot of people don't think about sort of the way that their money is treated them, right? No one does. And it's funny because they know if you if you ask them, if you invite them to explain what how money works, mm. they will get Eventually there. get there. They'll get there in 10 minutes. Nowadays, they'll get there in 10 minutes. Yeah. Do you keep cash in your wallet? No. Why? Well, because prices are going up. Okay, so what do you do with the money? I have to invest it. And then you start framing investing as risk. You have to take a risk. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, how much risk are you taking? Well, basically 100% of my money is at risk because I don't keep, I can't keep cash. So I have to risk 100% of my money. Okay, so do you think you should be risking 100% of your money with like 10% of your time? No. Okay, well, how much time should you spend on 100% of your risk? Well, now you're talking about two jobs or paying somebody to manage your money. And then you're asking yourself, why do, why do these other assets go up while my money goes down? Well, because they're printing more money and they're not printing more assets. You can get there in 10 minutes. It's easy. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe we have a better understanding of, you know, how to draw that line a little more straight than most others, but... I think a lot of people understand that there's no way that staying in cash, you know, cash in the shoebox, cash in the drywall is, is going to work for you mm -hmm. now. And, you know, I, I remember, I still remember like in 2005, six, I was, I won't even say how I know this about this person, but I'm, I'm, I will say that someone in my life had a parent who used to put money in the ceiling panels, cash in the ceiling panels. And I always wondered like, why, why are they doing that? And then we realized like, okay, cash is king, cash is king, you get that. Mm -hmm. How many people are saying cash is king these days? No one. Not many, you know? A lot of people are doing a lot more things with their money mm -hmm. than saving it in cash in the wall. Certainly not with CAD. I mean, CAD is damn near Kleenex at this point, right? And it's getting I think, worse. I think the last three months we lost against the peso. 
and in my lifetime to lose value against the Mexican peso. Insane. And no disrespect to anyone who has the Mexican peso, but that was just not a thing that no, would happen. No, And millennials understand that now at a level they didn't before, thanks to things like the Burr meme, Twitter, mm-hmm. um, you know, all these guys making shorts on Instagram and Facebook. And it is a little frustrating when we see policymakers talk about real estate specifically and talk about the lack of housing and investors. They blame the you. They blame you. Totally. And I've, we've, we, I think back in 2016, 16, I think it was, we went to all of our investors publicly and mm-hmm. said, get ready. Yeah. You are about to be vilified. We don't know where it's coming, but you're going to be vilified. The advice. thing is that sim, you are real estate investors. This is the fact that they're investing in real estate is a symptom to the greater problem. It's it's, do you guys frame it? Cause I thought about this before. My dad's a big real estate guy. And when I think about real estate investing, I look at the way that government officials describe it when they're talking to the press and trying to, in my opinion, force a wedge issue in the population. And then I think about what real estate actually is as an investment. It's basically the most conservative investment anyone can make. There is almost no like far curve risk. You know, fat, there's no fat tail risk on real estate. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a hard asset. There's not much more of it. If you buy it in a population center, there's typically demand. You know, like if you stay in the much. starter home category and you don't venture out into multi million dollar right, luxury right. rentals. If you're, you're not, stay in you're that not star- buying pre cons, you're not. You know what I it's mean? Like, pretty, it's pretty. It's pretty. pretty boring. It's conservative. Is what it is. And I think there's like a couple of other things that I would put in that camp, like, you know, standard sort of automated ETF purchases. Or it's been monetized beyond even our belief. In 2008, when we started this, we, we kind of suspected it would continue to be monetized, but we weren't thinking of it in those terms. Our language wasn't there yet ourselves. Yeah. We kind of sensed it. We're like, oh, this thing tends to get a premium, but we never expected low interest rates for an entire decade just right. to put it on steroids. Right. Um, yeah, it's just this weird symptom that nobody seems to discuss it. Policymakers, Ottawa, provincial government, Super everyone weird. will just say, and then they, they point fingers. It's the investors who are having a problem. But we meet I people in here who are saying <laughs> they've managed to save a little bit of money and they're like, okay, we don't know where to put it. We want to put it in real estate because we don't want it to lose its value. Right. Can you help us? And that's kind of where we step in. And then those very people who are doing that, who've worked their whole lives to save a little bit of money and I maybe know. get one rental property, then in the media or online or wherever are then vilified as part of the problem. Well, this is, this is where I'm going to point at Floyd. And, you know, your brother was doing that show by himself. I, I can sympathize with the fact that you don't want to push back and turn everything into an argument. But I am sure Nick feels this way, too. Marinescu makes a couple of points there that I think are amplifying this wedge issue in a way that's unfair. You know, when he talks about things like the land tax, um, you know, un, un, unused land or underused land. Well, who decides that? It's not your fucking job to decide whether my land is underutilized, mm-hmm. number one. Then he's talking about things like boomers. We used to call this downsizing. Now they're starting to call it right sizing. You don't get to fucking tell me mm-hmm. or my parents or my family or anyone I know what the right size is for them. If they want to protect their wealth like this, that's their right. That's their prerogative. They paid for that house. If you don't like it, go somewhere else. Do not come to me and say, there's, uh, you know, why does this guy know how many empty bedrooms, underutilized bedrooms are in the province? Fuck off. This is, this to me is a big problem <laughs> because all I see is more and more have nots, whether it's their fault or not is a different story, but more and more have nots are going to have an opportunity to vote away mm-hmm. private wealth and private property from you, from me, from Nick, from my family, from your family, from everyone else. I'm not suggesting here that these people don't have a legitimate gripe. They do. But it ain't with me and it ain't with you. It's with policymakers. We shouldn't let people off the hook 
because we think that they're the cause of the problem. We have to do a better job explaining to this. I'm disappointed with the Realtors Association, for example, mm. for not getting out in front of this. They make a fuck ton of money over there. Mm-hmm. It's like 3%. All Don't take this the wrong way. Okay, I know you're in this game. You can say whatever you want. 3% <laughs> to come to the house and open the fucking lockbox. Like, why do you get 3% for that? Use some of that money. Make it 2.5%. Use some of that money to start lobbying to protect the people that you claim are the most important thing about your business, the people who are buying and selling homes. Because if you don't, these guys are not going to wait. It's You're seeing, again, like I talked about earlier, is that 4% of the people, uh, population who came here last year, are they going to vote for stronger home ownership rights, less homeowners taxes, or more? They're going to vote for more and less rights. And that's, that is, that is. It's funny you're coming to this conclusion because when I got into real estate, I originally thought this about these different real estate associations. What you have to realize now that I've been in this industry for some time is I didn't realize that brokerages mm-hmm. and the real estate industry has nothing to do about with real estate. And I didn't quite understand that brokerages, the brokerage model in Ontario is all about just recruiting agents mm-hmm. and hoping that 80% or sorry, out of the hundred, you get 20% who actually produce. Something. How is it not a pyramid scheme? If I see one more Rod Golfie or Rod Frank, like fucking poster, I mean, how many guys do you need working underneath you? This is, this is so close to weekend Tupperware sales. It's not funny. And these guys are really running these rackets in a way. Why you mean because they recruit people under they just, their? They just recruit, 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 then they don't do anything. Mm-hmm. They recruit, 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 then they don't do anything. That I can kind of defend if someone's. It's fine. Lead, it's fine with me, lead. but but let's call it what it is, though, mm-hmm. right? Like I don't want to pay three percent plus whatever you know Rod Frank Realty takes. I, I feel bad talking about Rod like this. He goes to the gym that I used to go to, but I'm sure he's a nice enough guy. Well, there's many teams that do the exactly the same. Of course. Thing. That's just, to me, I guess because I came from software sales, I always used to think the same thing. That's just some people are good at lead generating. Other yeah. people are not. So they do the lead generating. They have a team to kind of fulfill some of the leads. That part, I can almost, that just seems like normal sales to me. It's the brokerage model that really baffles me because when, Tell you, look me why, at, yeah. cause when you look at the brokerages, they don't care about real estate mm-hmm. in and of itself. They just care about getting agents and making money off agents. So they're always trying, all the brokerages call each other's agents and try Try to recruit them over. Mm. And then when the agents are there, they're making money off monthly fees from the agents and any commission splits that go to the brokerage. The brokerage okay. itself does not care about Joey's real estate mm. or about the agent under their brokerage. If they're serving you properly, they don't care. Okay. They are only caring about, do they have a hundred, 500, a thousand agents under their roof and what percentage of money are they taking? And if they lose agents, they recruit more agents. The brokerage model in Ontario is just about recruiting real estate agents. You, it's not about real estate. Do you think that? Uh, do you get? Do you, I do. That's I understand that now. Okay, that's that's good information. That's why when you see yeah. the brokerages and they don't really have any training about like what real estate really is or nothing. how do you, there's nothing. Everyone's just an Instagram influencer. You know, like it's amazing the number of times I've seen like a bottle girl delete five years of sizzle, you know, bar photos oh, really? and start posting, you know, I'm doing a showing on Sunday. Yeah, if I had a dollar for every time, like, yeah, oh, yeah. I could at least get my oil changed. Yeah. And, uh, but they're also on their own. So then when real estate agents come into these brokerages, there was no really real comprehensive training about interest rates no. or hard of assets. Or it's, it's really just about, hey, can you, you know, how do you do an open house or how do yeah. you tie the balloons to an open house sign to get more traffic? To, it's more just <laughs> like that kind of stuff. It's not really about... Like, hey, what are we doing in the economy here? How do we help people? How do we help? The brokerage just cares about transactional volume because they're getting a piece from everybody. Right. That's it. And if they lose those agents, their job as the brokerage is to recruit more agents. Are the agents, like who who drives the bidding process? Is it the agents who drive that? And Maybe I'm framing that question wrong. When I think about bidding for real estate, I'm lucky. My my father's girlfriend's been our, our agent for a long time and she's great, right? She doesn't push us to do or not do anything, but... 
I, I know a lot of my friends, and I see this on Reddit a lot, especially okay. in the Canadian real estate Reddits, where brokers, uh, or I should say real estate agents, won't submit what they call insulting offers, you know, a little below ask or a little below, but they will push you to do 10%, 7% above the ticket because that's what the market demands. Isn't that's, just, that's just salespeople. And uh, that is, that's their incentive though, right? So I, I wonder, I, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying, how, I wonder how well, much If you that make an offer, legally it has to be presented. Like you good information there. Yeah. Like yeah. you have to present an offer. So if you call someone who's listing a house and you're saying, I want to make an offer, that offer must be presented. Mm. So, you know, maybe they can talk you out of making the offer, exactly. but if you're proceeding and saying, no, no, I, I want to make this offer. I think I read that one point when I was getting into my real, before my license, I'm like, <laughs> you have to, uh, here's an offer that's 50% of value. And I know you legally must present my offer. But uh, the reason in the industry that that's done sometimes between salespeople is because everyone's quote unquote busy mm -hmm. and somebody has a low ball offer. They're not sure about you. They just met you. They don't know who they are. They have to call their friend who's maybe the listing agent and say, hey, I got this guy, Joey. I know you're busy. I know you're not taking this. I got to present this thing to you. So they're just sometimes trying to protect their relationships mm. and they don't want to get a reputation right. of the person who's always coming with some lowball offer. So internally, sales reps are trying to manage relationships between themselves, rightfully or wrongfully, yeah. that is actually happening. So we're what we're saying to each other here is that there's a lot of moving parts in, in this whole sort of financialization of real estate over the last totally. 30 years. Relationships between agents, and, the brokerage and model. The that and the investor is the least of the worries of oh, policymakers, God. you know? Like this is, this is at the end of the day, I think where no matter how you view real estate, realtors, brokerages, like all these other moving parts, at the end of the day, the more you dig into this, the more you have to understand and the more you realize, I think, if you're, if you're looking at this honestly, you know, people who are buying rental properties are not the problem. You could argue, honestly, that rental properties are part of the solution. At least if you rent to somebody, you're providing housing. You may not like the price. You may not. Yeah, there's there's always going to be some utility value. Yeah. Should it double and triple in price in a decade? Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> is there utility value? to? Is it a business of offering shelter? Yeah. Yeah, there's probably yeah. some demand. Listen, if Rockstar did not need to exist, like I, I tell people this, I don't think they believe me. I'm like, we shouldn't exist. Mm -hmm. Like the only reason Rockstar exists, and we talk about your life, your terms associated with Rockstar Real Estate is that we didn't know how to front run the whole debasement of the currency and right. real estate looked as, as a way that we could play banker. We could buy this asset, we sign a piece of paper, we create money out of thin air. Yep. When, when I signed the paper, that money didn't exist before. Now, now you know, this mortgage money magically exactly. exists. Yeah. And then if it goes up in value, however you want to kind of quantify that, I get to go back to the bank and say, hey, can I like refinance that property and pull out $300,000 to go buy something else? And they're like, yeah, just sign this paper. And then with my signature again oh, and I'm playing banker and it's the only way in Canada where I know an average Canadian can use the system so good. against itself. Yeah. Like you are essentially playing central banker when you're playing, playing with real estate. And I'm not, I'm not saying real estate's right or great because of that. I actually think it's kind of bullshit. You're defending, but you're just doing like, you're just defending. I'm just your, learning the rules of the game. That's it. I'm learning and that's I'm trying, but now with big Bitcoin introduced something really interesting to me in 2020. Cause I thought, holy shit. Now there's finally, mm. finally yeah. something else on a much greater scale that might be really interesting. And it's weird. I do believe that sometimes millennials as well to make money you there real estate can present currently a fiat money making engine with the leverage sure. for you to be able to kind of outpace some of the debasement and then build a little bit of net worth and then plow it into bitcoin exactly and i'm not sure i'm totally sold on saying 
that isn't necessary. Like sometimes when you're, you know, in my twenties, if you I need was, a second revenue stream, you need, a, I think, that's, I think, exactly. yeah, I think so too. And, and, uh, I think, but but it, yeah. if, if Rockstar didn't have to exist, to me it would mean the world's a better place. Sure, because it, we wouldn't have to. Awful big of you to say that. But I mean, but it it is true. people, I don't think believe me. I was actually talking at lunch with somebody. He's like, you, you said really? this at the Jeff Booth event. You know, you yeah. said it the Friday night. You know, Rockstar as an institution, as a business, it shouldn't be necessary. It shouldn't. It's sad that it is. How, necessary. How many? How many people? So this is the other thing I think that millennials are benefiting from in a lot of ways, and it's the the sort of the the ready the ready availability of all these different avenues for sort of bolstering your own personal portfolio whether it's your knowledge base or your sort of economic outputs there's so many options now and you know if you look at twitter how many gatekeepers have been basically you know made obsolete by youtube videos instagram accounts and, you know what i mean like i mean how many now i don't need to i think about i just think about like cbp okay I didn't need to go to a professional producer to do any video stuff. I didn't need to go to a professional photographer to learn about the camera work. I didn't need to go to anyone to learn about how to edit audio and post it. I didn't have to go to anyone to make sure that my uh, advertisers could see. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. Then I think about, you know, something like well simple. okay? My, my buddies now are starting to get into this too. You know, I, I have a set and forget uh, investment strategy. Every Wednesday it goes. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. It just goes on its own. I don't have to see my broker. I don't have to go down to her office. I don't have to, you know, get them to show me that big chart that goes from, you know, 1850 to 2020. Look how the line goes up. If you invest, not adjusted for inflation, of course. And then I don't have to do any of that stuff. I don't have to go for dinner with them and hear them out on this strategy. I don't have to go to the back office of TD and listen to some high school dropout. Tell me why their (laughs) mutual fund is better than BMO's (laughs) mutual fund. I don't have to fucking do any of it. And the best part tom is that the more time you spend away from the gatekeepers the more the more you realize that these people are useless they're rent seeking millennials understand that now in a way that you guys no, yeah and, we never the did boomers never Correct. did never did agreed and uh you guys seem to have that dialed in because i, I just don't care it, it's like almost embarrassing if you tell your friends now like oh i'm going to a broker is it right? the, yeah. same way, the same way that boomers are embarrassed <laughs> if you tell them you're getting your oil changed by somebody else like that's the yeah, thing yeah, that's the totally, thing that's you it. can't you can't take a part and put together yeah. an engine yeah how embarrassing for you. You don't know what an oil filter looks exactly. like? Canadian Tire? Let me take you to Canadian Tire. Exactly. We'll look at oil filters. And so this is the, the same thing, right? And you see the benefits from this to millennials have been, have been huge. But the problem is that we haven't had the resources to yeah. really take advantage yeah. of it, right? Agreed. That's the problem. Agreed. That's why you need the second income stream. Hey everyone, it's Tom Kratz. I'm interrupting the podcast. Yes, I am. I'll be really quick and I'll explain why. Over the last few years may have heard us talk about three buckets in your financial life. You need an access to one bucket, which is short-term liquid cash to just pay your mortgage, pay your rent, buy groceries for emergencies, that kind of thing. Another bucket would be creating hard assets in your life that are also income producing. Everybody we believe needs at least a second stream of income or the ability to accumulate enough hard assets to really produce an income stream that's meaningful in your life. To us, that has been real estate. It's why we run the Rockstar Inner Circle membership. It's why we have over 20 classes as that membership. And we're trying to get an information advantage on real estate investing, how to do it properly and safely and reduce the risk as much as possible. Not that you can ever reduce it to zero, but with information, we can kind of mitigate our risk in real estate as much as humanly possible. And there's this third bucket, which is your long-term savings. And we never, never really had a good plan for that. We looked at gold for a little while. Obviously, if you've been listening to this, you know, Bitcoin has become a big thing 
thing for us with that particular bucket in your long-term savings. So if you're fortunate enough to be able to accumulate some long-term savings and you want a place to put it, we highly recommend you dive into Bitcoin. It's why we're doing episodes like the one that you're listening to right now. And if you want a resource in Canada on where to buy Bitcoin, because that's why we're asked, that's sorry, that is what we are asked quite often. We currently really like bull Bitcoin. We like the guys there. They're Bitcoin only. They are all about education. They will walk your hand and educate you through this process if you've never bought Bitcoin before. And if you use the URL rockstarbtc.ca, you will get $20 of free Bitcoin when you fund your account. So that's rockstarbtc.ca tc.ca. If you go through that URL to get to Bull Bitcoin, they have done that as an offer to you, one of the listeners of the Your Life, Your Terms show. So that's what we wanted to extend out to you. And if you're looking for a place to buy Bitcoin, we couldn't recommend them highly enough. And you know, we don't do this. So you know, we're strong believers in Bull Bitcoin because we rarely talk about anyone on this particular show of any sort. So Bull Bitcoin is our current favorite. You can visit them by going to rockstarbtc.ca set up an account. And when you fund that account, you'll get a free $20 in Bitcoin. Let's get back to the show. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know. Exactly that. How do you, how does your, like Aiden is like what, 22, 23, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's working for you. He's going to school. He's maybe doing some other stuff. Like, you know, I've heard on your show, you guys have his friends on once in a while, like a buddy selling shoes out of yeah. his closet yeah. at school <laughs> or whatever. Like, like the, everyone I think PlayStation is five, they got a big truckload of PlayStation whatever, fives. Whatever, right? You know what I mean? You buy a skid, you get the bot, you go on Best Buy CA on the on the launch day, yeah. which is by the way, that's how I got my PlayStation. Yeah, like you, you had to, because if you didn't have that, you couldn't. He's get a one, master right? with his bots, apparently. And so, and so everyone is doing this stuff now. And people get again, people get upset. PlayStation is another good example. The number of things I saw on Twitter and Reddit that day about how, oh, it's these people, the resellers, don't buy a don't buy a Oh really? Okay, PlayStation. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh really. You know how many PlayStation fives <laughs> Len had? No. Like a boatload, a bunch. You know what I mean? Like he could have built a raft. Okay, so it's not just the real estate investors; it's people hoarding play, PlayStation because, fives and reselling. Why? Them. Because you can, if you can make two hundred bucks a unit mm-hmm. and you buy ten units, that's mm-hmm. that's easy two grand. And what did you do for it? Is now? democracy a failed? Then uh, just is what a segue. Is democracy a fail? <laughs> oh my god! Just, well, just everything. If I just pull it all back, it's like everyone making decisions on everything is leading to all this crazy business. So is democracy just an, uh, uh, you know, a way to run a country that is just corrupt? It doesn't matter. I, I honestly don't think voting matters. I don't think. Yeah, that's how I, I think. think it so then, what is the system that we need in place? Because if voting doesn't matter, you know, it's an ugly, it's an ugly conversation. But at the end of the day, I think we retreat back to city. Like if you go back far enough in history, you got to like, go back to city states. You think so? I think so. I think there's, you know, Mark Jeftovic was telling me a little while ago uh, when we were going, we went to the. Um, uh, what is the name of that show? Looney Hour event in Toronto mm. a couple weeks ago. And we were talking over dinner about how Dundas, Ontario, had this program that they were considering. This is like in the 90s and early aughts, I think. And they may still be doing it. There, there's a couple of names I have to look up and see if they'll come to my house for a show. But they're talking about being one of these transition towns. And it's basically mm. this like early, early city-state model. Like we want to be resilient, sort of self-sufficient as we can, and really look out for each other's interests while having a watchful eye on sort of the you know, come on, the really? Hamilton. They're speaking with that language. This is something who's that Dund- in there speaking. Like this that? is something that Dundas has been looking at for a long time. There, there's signs. My wife is a, a, a born and raised Dundite, as I like to call them. And every Christmas party I go to has all sorts of Dundas only propaganda everywhere. Dundas oh, really? forever, Super City never. There's like poems that were written about the Dundas cannon pointing toward Hamilton. May it never be used except for celebration. And so, like, it's like this. Th- this is like the the sentiment there. Huh. And when I first got there, I thought. <laughs> 
this is pretty weird. Like these guys are like, you know, they're, they, they sound insane. But now that I live there, Tom, I would honestly like to see like a Vatican city model or something mm -hmm. for done that. Like just leave because the more to your point earlier about this kind of democratic institutions and democratic norms, the more you try and scale a government, the less effective it is. Yeah, it's, and it seems just naturally corrupting over time. It, it, how can it not? Mm -hmm. I don't actually hold any politician to, to a No, it's, it's the system. It's nothing you mm -hmm. can do, yeah. right? Like pol politics attracts a certain kind of person, this I will admit, but even the best people, I mean, they will grind you down to a fine paste mm -hmm. in, in a political Agreed. system. Canada, the, the So US then where are like we insane. headed? Like in your, you're young, so like you're gonna see a My lot. My friends don't care about voting. I don't care about mm -hmm. voting and mm -hmm. what we think. Well, where does that lead us to then? Nobody votes. A so. apathy, apathy leads to, I think, problems like broader problems in society that the millennials would be the first generation to really face head on. And I think that there's going to be, there's going to come a time in the next 20 years. This is only my personal view. I have no, mm -hmm. you know, scientific data to back this up. But if I, if I kind of run the, the numbers here, if, if we go 20 years where the people who are really winning the bread and doing the work and being productive find themselves so disillusioned by modern politics, not necessarily by politicians, you know, they're, they're just people like you and me, but by modern politics that they stop voting and stop participating. Well, what way does policy go? We talked about it. There will be many more have-nots. They're coming in more and more every day, and these have-nots will try and vote your property away from you eventually. So does somebody, someone like Joey and his family just leave? I think so. Hmm. I mean, what, what other, I'm open to hearing other choices. It feels like I'm talking to my wife right now. Like what, what other choice mm. do you have? There's agreed. And, and I always say to her, so it's, it's Atlas. This is Atlas. It is, shrugged it is Atlas out. shrugged. It's Atlas shrugged and sovereign individual and nice, you know, a nice cocktail with some ice in it uh, between the two of them. And I always say to my wife, and maybe you've had similar conversations with your spouse. Like I, I think about you guys spending more time in Croatia and I've heard mm. you talk about. Oh, I totally have. This is all I'm talking about. You know lately. what I mean? I'm because, like, where are we going to spend as a family? Where do we live? Because you don't want it to be here. And I think I, I tell my wife all the time. You know, there's a list of five or six things that we talk about. Like if these six things, five things come to fruition, I don't care how much like Dundas, we got to go. And the one of the things I like I that you're loyal to Dundas. I like, well, I, I yeah. like the area. I really <laughs> no, do. You I, know, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's a beautiful place to live is, and it's it like, is. it's kind of this but, small so you've, town but field. you've identified five or six items. I, in my head, I have like five or six. Huh. And I, I think about this the same way I think about Bitcoin and, you know, hundred thousand dollar Bitcoin. And it's basically as follows. I think that $100,000 Bitcoin is something I, I predict will happen at some point. And along the way to $100,000 Bitcoin, you know. You earned the hat. I have one you, already. Do you? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you have another one? I'll give it to my dog. <laughs> the, uh, so, uh, you know, on the way to $100,000 Bitcoin, you have, you know, four or five other things. It's CBDCs. It's rampant inflation. It's cutting into a, uh, you know, cutting into S&P all-time highs that you're seeing now. You know, mm -hmm. Jerome and the mm -hmm. boys over there. Mm -hmm. S&P is like a percentage away, 2% mm -hmm. away. NASDAQ, I think, is at all-time highs. India, like, France, Germany, all all-time highs. Dow Jones, mm -hmm. all-time high. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> what a world. Whatever, right? Yeah. Or, or whatever that industrial uh, index is. And so, you know, those five things, three of them have already happened. The prediction, you can't tell me that the 100,000 is out of the realm of possibilities if the other three or four have already happened. Much the same way in Dundas, if I start to see, you know, multi-unit residential show up next to my house or they start building on, you know, parkland, mm -hmm. six, six story, you know, 100 unit or 50 unit uh, properties, mm -hmm. they raise my property taxes, they tell me that I'm underusing my land. If they start telling me those things, I'm not going to wait for all six to happen. I'm going to leave at four. And I think a lot of people are starting to think this because by the time the sixth one happens, it's too late. And by the way, 
one of the things I think was good about COVID is that there's going to be way more people not waiting for the sixth thing anymore, right? They're not going to wait until the vax pass or, you know, the, the kin to the vax pass shows up before they think it's too much. They will remember that the vax pass showed up fifth and that three of the other things really already mm-hmm. happened by that time. They should have seen the writing on the wall. I think a lot of people see the writing on the wall. Guys my age work remote. Nowhere has identified itself as the ultimate place to go no. yet. But patience, that that looks like it could be turning. You will eventually. There's a, there's a place like Argentina can turn around Argentina, quick. Argentina, I mean, you know about El Salvador. Mm-hmm. I think about some of the places in the United States, like, you know, everyone talks about Texas, Florida. Mm-hmm. At some point, you know, people who are productive will find themselves like all birds of a feather flocking together. And those places will really start to show up as diamonds in the rough. Agreed. I sometimes wonder if Miami turns into a city state. Hard to say, but you know, that's a good, they're a good candidate. Texas is another good candidate. Mm. Alberta here, right? You can say what you want about Danielle Smith and the sovereignty. Yeah, true. I never really thought about Alberta yet. You're right. What she's doing is important because there, there is no doubt in any sane person's mind that the oil sands fund you know, 80% of the pension or whatever. I think mm-hmm. they're like 80% of the Quebec pension. That's not even a, a misstep on my part to say that. Uh, and then, you know, when you talk about the resources that they have over there, they've been neutered in a lot of ways by federal policy. You can agree or disagree with that policy, but the point sort of still stands mm-hmm. that Albertans have this firepower beneath the ground. They are by and large a productive society. They are not a financialized, you know, GDP pushing society. They are a natural resource commodity society. Why, what, is really the benefit for them staying at the moment. I have a hard time figuring this out. And by the way, uh, you know, these numbers, we're way far afoot here, but the numbers that they came up with a few months ago when Danielle Smith made that announcement that they were thinking about leaving the CPP, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, they would be able to keep the same level of pension coverage with, I think, half the contribution. Your contribution in Alberta would go from 9% to 6%, okay. 5%, something like that. The, the common talking point from most of the, uh, you know, legacy media was, well, this outfit that they use is just an Alberta HR firm. It's not really an accounting firm, blah, blah, blah. That firm used to be Morneau Chappelle, as in Bill Morneau, the liberal finance minister. Mm. So you make it that what you will. But I, w- I would guess those I numbers they that. got were pretty conservative, honestly. And the longer that we go with immigration, with refusing to admit the GDP per capita is a problem and paper macheing over layer after layer after layer of internal strife, turmoil, and societal like fault lines, the more appealing that's going to look to Albertans. Put it to a vote. How many Albertans think would vote for that right now? Mm. I bet you that number is like 60%, 65%. It's certainly so high enough to do I it. I think so too. Certainly high enough to do it. And once you start talking about that, again, to go back to this like messaging um you know, the messaging models that are out there now through Twitter and Facebook and whatnot. Once you start talking about it, how do you put the toothpaste back in the tube? Everyone will start to look at it. And it's only a matter of time until some negative externality comes to you as someone who doesn't want to leave the pension. And you say, wait a minute, another carbon tax? Wait a minute. I The gas is like the oil is under my feet and I got to pay another dollar on every liter, another 60 cents on every liter. But the East Coast doesn't have to because it's a liberal stronghold or like whatever the case is, right? These things are, they're starting to pile up. And for millennials, unlike for, for Xers and boomers to kind of, you know, tie it back to my generation, what's keeping me where I am, right? My job keeps me in the country, but it doesn't keep me in one place. I could go anywhere. I keep thinking about that for you know your generation. I mean? I'm like, these guys are mobile. They work remotely. We anything. The podcast, the podcast makes enough money that if I quit my job, we'd be lean for a few months, but we could figure it out. And oh, Len and, so and, and, and I have talked about that. Like, you know, what would it take for you to really go 
go full-time CBP. It, you would, it would take a lot, but the point is that you could do it. And I think a lot of millennials are in the same boat. You have the skills, whether it's coding or you work, you know, remotely technology-based, whatever, or STEM. You know, your stuff is in demand. There's a lot. Of, we're the last generation, I think, of kids who did STEM degrees, really took university mm -hmm. seriously, had a difficult road to get into a university as opposed to now where everyone is getting bell curved into some school, right? Whether you're going to, you know, McMaster for some social science or you're going to Conestoga to hold a knife and cut vegetables, <laughs> it's easy to get in, right? You get it anywhere and everyone's like psyched, man, like let's do it. But they don't have the skills to leave. So then you have this other problem 20 years from now or 10 years from now that there's no precedent for, okay? And this is something I really take seriously. Aiden can probably attest to this because he's a little younger than I am. Where is, the, where is the example of a bunch of whiny social studies and psych majors with no productive, real productive capacity, addicted to SSRIs and Adderall, holding down the fort for a society that is 60 or 70% welfare and pension recipients? Show me the data for this. Yeah, there is no precedent for that, and you're you're entering into like very very shaky territory, I think, because you see a lot of these universities having trouble with cheating, and they can't get kids to take exams, and they can't get kids to focus, and they can't. And then you got teachers. Next ten years is interesting. A lot of boomers are going to die off. What do you do? What and then the you plan? have the millennials who are 10 years older, who are not voting, who are talking the way you're talking. They want to leave. I wonder if we're going, you know, a lot of people I talk to will say, hey, Tom, you're always talking about all this stuff, but you know, it's, it might take a lifetime or two lifetimes yeah. for any big change to happen. And I'm like, well, it could, but I want to at least plan for maybe sudden changes sooner. Like there's a slowly then suddenly moment that also, suddenly- Also, like this is, this is a bullshit talking point and it's not yours, but this idea that like things take a lifetime to change. Mm -hmm. why, why, that is, is, why is that the case? It used to be the case because capital formation and capital movement took time. But we already talked about this. I don't need anyone to help me move my wealth. You I don't need anyone to help me that move is my so job. Different. I don't that need anyone to help didn't me move. Exist. I can go anywhere yeah. in six weeks. I'm out of here, man. No one's going to stop me. Mm -hmm. You know, what, do you, what is the plan? The only points of friction are taxation from the Fed and taxation from the province. I hate to break it to you, but those gates are going to come down in the next five or six mm -hmm. years. They're going to get way worse, and then they're going to come right down because it's going to be unsustainable to manufacture these rules and regulations and, and enforce them. Well, I, I don't. This is why I think Leonard I'm waiting I, for a nation state just to be able to say, "Hey, bring in X number of Bitcoin will and point. productive they will capacity." I feel like El Salvador was close to doing that whole three was it three Bitcoin thing, like yeah. straight up citizenship. If you come in with three Bitcoin yeah. and you're productive in your own capacity of some sort, yeah. welcome. Easy. I'm waiting. It just feels like we're so close. The incentives are the incentives will push us there at some point, and millennials are going to benefit from that in a way that I think a lot of people are not ready for. Because again. You know, part of the positive spin on not is being this able just to you, or do you think other millennials who don't oh, speak fuck, the way I you think, speak? I think everyone's ready to do it. My oh, my wife's brother is an electrician. Uh, he's in his last year, last six months, I think, of like his program, and you know, he's already talking about as soon as I get my ticket, I'm mobile. I can go anywhere, and I think a lot. Why would you not? Yeah. You know, and, agreed. And like agreed. again, millennials they can't afford a house, Tom. So. Like if imagine you didn't even have to sell your house. You don't even like that's a fairly yeah, people say homes totally are not mobile. liquid, but like it's pretty liquid. If you wanted to sell your house, you could put, you know, eight hundred, nine hundred K on it. You as long as the thing is not underwater, mm -hmm. you're gonna get that in a week, right? And these are these are pretty easy things to do. And if you don't have to buy another house, you just take the money, see you later, put in Bitcoin, see you later, whatever, right? 
You don't have to worry about this stuff. Can Pierre come into Canada and change no. things in a way no. that would change? Your I, tweet, I tweeted this last night. The only difference for the person in office is who's going to loot the ever living fuck out of you on the way to the already determined finish line. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I agree. Because what, yeah. I, you know, God bless the guy. You know, yeah. I think he's probably What's he going to do. He's trapped in a system. He spent more. I'll death. tell you what he's been doing. He spent the last like eight months bench pressing and doing TRT. I'm pretty sure because he looks huge all of a sudden. Oh, does he? Yeah. He's completely really shaken attention. to Clark Kent and gone all in on the super. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very strange. Okay. Behavior from him, <laughs> looking for the middle-aged woman vote. I think right. That's Trudeau's uh, bread and butter. But you know, I, I I don't think it can be fixed. And and not to not to make light of it, but what what is the policy position that you could adopt to stop fifty years of debt accumulation? Yeah, agreed. Agreed. There isn't one. And Jeff talks about, like Booth talks yeah. about this all the time. Yeah, yeah. He's right, right? I think he's maybe a little too doom and gloom about it. I don't think it's like, you know, predetermined to that extent mm-hmm. that you're going to be in like this Bitcoin only thing in the next 10 or 12 years. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be a lot of people who start to look elsewhere, both in terms of their real life, in terms of their asset uh, portfolio, their their allocation to Bitcoin, their allocation to stocks, and like whatever, right? They're all going to look and say, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't see a way out. Mm-hmm. And when you don't see a way out, you get problems in society but i think you know first what you will get is capital flight you see i mean china has already experienced this right like they, they have tons of capital yeah. controls they don't want you leaving other no. places are like this too canada to some extent is like this i think when you leave you have to pay some kind of ridiculous tax like you know california famously during covid put in this thing where if you leave california and make money somewhere else they're yeah. still going to tax you fuck off how are you going to how are you going to do that i gavin newsom can't even play basketball with eight-year-old chinese kids without falling down he's telling me he's going to that was tax a pretty me. awesome clip incredible that stuff was a pretty awesome clip. that's the best they got <laughs> um do you think next year in 2024, the branding of Bitcoin gets stronger? And I guess I finally feel like I'm seeing cracks in all the other kind of shitcoin talking that some people, I think it was, we talked about this really briefly, but I think it's Tim Draper. Is it Tim yeah, Draper? Yeah. He came out with this awesome clip where I'm like, oh my gosh, people are finally starting to understand it. Where he spoke about, just if you didn't hear the clip, he basically said, oh my gosh, there's all these other, you know, crypto things out in the world. And what's happening is mimicking exactly what I saw in software. This is exactly the pattern I saw in software, that there was all these different software platforms right. and a bunch of other stuff got built easily. I'll give you an example. Microsoft Access was a little database that you could build wonderful programs on. I remember that. And you could put it on your desktop. And what would happen is <laughs> consultants would make a killing of it because they would walk into a medium-sized business and say, hey, Joey, I can solve X, Y, Z problem for you. I'll build it with this Microsoft Access. You don't need to know about the technology, but it's really easy and quick for me to do it. I'll do it in two weeks. And and you solved your accounting problem, your inventory problem, or HR problem with this nice little database. It went into your into your company, and then you realized it was a piece of shit because it it sat on your desktop, and someone had to upgrade it, and Windows would upgrade, yeah. and then Microsoft Access. There's a reason work. Access isn't in the office. Yeah, like, it, but but then <laughs> yeah. some people. A buddy of mine has just uh, told me he's maintaining a piece of Microsoft Access code from like 10 years ago or whatever, but. Over time, it was like this internet architecture came out and everyone realized, oh my gosh, don't build the easy, quick way on desktops, build like this proper internet architecture where things are in these big servers, you access it through the cloud, you have a thin client and people can upgrade really easily. Your data is more secure actually in this way. And to me, it's just mimicking the whole crypto space right now where Bitcoin to me is the winning platform protocol. It's just, it's done. And there's these other ones out there that you can build quickly on like Ethereum or Solana and it sounds really good and it's just obvious to me that in five years those are going to be the little playgrounds and all the good stuff that might come out of the ideas that are experimented on those platforms will eventually morph over onto Bitcoin. Once it's ready. Once they're ready. Once it's ready and this stuff takes time and and you know what? The internet protocol wasn't ready for cloud-based computing in 2000. By 2006, NetSuite, the company I worked for, 2007, sorry, it went public for a billion dollars on the New York Stock Exchange. So in 2000, 
nowhere close to ready. 2007, you have a company going public for a billion dollars that was putting accounting and inventory software into the cloud. Yeah. That's a seven year span. Incredible, right? Like, yeah, it seems so, so obvious now, but. It, and, and I see the same pattern now where people are like, oh, you buy these other things and there's this DeFi stuff. And I'm like, don't you understand it's all going to be built on top of Bitcoin? It will take time, yeah. but you can start seeing it. Like I know BitVM was announced yeah. and it, it's a little speck of a white paper and not much has happened, but these are the patterns that I see that I'm, I'm saying, oh my gosh, it's all repeating. Yeah, they're the signposts, right? The, everyone. So it's 2024, I guess my question to you is, is it the year that Bitcoin becomes like the brand that is diff, really different? At, 100, at 100K Bitcoin, it's over. Like mm -hmm. it's over, you know? I already got the meme folder. It's Dude. packed with shit for 100K Bitcoin. <laughs> I'm ready. You know, it's gonna be like a fucking advent calendar every day, another piece of chocolate. I think I'm gonna be pretty Twitter obnoxious account. too. I'm gonna be what, very how obnoxious. How could you not? How could you not? How, what, how many told you so's can you do? And like, to your point about like something like BitVM and these other things that have come along, right? Uh, these are, these are, these are signposts along a path that I think is already predetermined. You know, mm -hmm. if we do nothing, Tom, we don't build anything else on Bitcoin. It's just store value, store of time, whatever. Right. You, the seventh property, like Yake says, it's still going to go. Yeah, that alone. It's still going to yeah. go because there's no better alternative. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I, I joked about this early on in the podcast on some other show we were on. I forget which one. But if you look at stuff like Solana, Ethereum, like you can go down the list of whatever shitcoin you want to talk about, whatever alt, alt token. There's for the there's so much conviction and like zealousness on Twitter. Like everyone's in like the Solana army, XR yeah. army. Like what? Okay, fine. I get it. Passion's good. Passion's like you know in a deficit these days. I like that. No problem. But doesn't it worry you that the guy who founded Solana, you know, has jumped ship already? That it's like in someone else's hands now. Doesn't it bother you the guys who were behind? Ethereum? Oh, is it? I didn't even know that. Probably. Okay. I don't know, but the okay. guys, some of the guys who founded Ethereum have left and started their own tokens. Even Vitalik doesn't have a hundred percent ETH in his bags. You know, like he's got other stuff too. To me, this is like a, another signpost. Like these guys are one foot out as soon as they make mm -hmm. their money. And some of the time, it's not that bad a thing, right? Like I think there's in in the altcoin space. I'll be you know, I'll be generous here. There's a lot of quality young technologists who see a problem and want to try and solve it. The problem is you really can't in a lot of these tokens, fine. You know, Solana is a good example. It's funny, they, they've become kind of the uh, token du jour for like building different financial platforms and DeFi things and whatnot. It's faster, it's cheaper so than fast. Ethereum. You know so what I mean? Fast. So Ethereum finds itself now in like this stale middle ground. It's not as, not as secure as Bitcoin and you can't build on it like you can Solana. What does it do? I don't know probably nothing, honestly, except, <laughs> except like exists. Right. And to your point about Bitcoin, you know, having the ability to kind of take in and, and metabolize all these different things going on around it at a pace and a rate that makes sense for the network and the asset and the people using it. I think we've, we've done a pretty good job. I mean, you can make the case that ordinals have caused some problems in fee markets, but if you go on memspace, um, mempool.space, I should say, you can see like those little ordinal spikes where the ordinals crowd gets hyped on Twitter uh, for two or three days or a week. I mean, they're short lived. Why? Because it costs money for block space. You don't have unlimited money. You sure as shit don't have unlimited Bitcoin, whether you have unlimited money or not. You can't just get all the Bitcoin you want. And so those things die down. It's a natural kind of ebb and flow. If there is value in those things, the market will adjust and the price will go up because the block space will become more valuable. I, I don't have a problem with that. Do you have a problem with mm -hmm. that? No one has a problem with that. At the end of the day, the branding problem Bitcoin has right now is only, in my opinion, just like it's like a one prong issue. 
and it's legal cloud in the United States. When the ETF gets approved, what's left for the bears? What do they got? They're going to lean on Tether. Tether holds like $100 billion in US treasuries. They're like the ninth mm-hmm. largest holder, including nation states in the world. They're, they're buying Bitcoin with the interest they get on treasury notes. Talk about a speculative attack. That makes Sailor jealous, man. Okay, like these guys know what they're doing. There's not too many skeletons in the closet now for Bitcoin. So maybe then it just changes. Yeah, because I agree with you. 2024, like if I was the generation or the group or whatever you call it, the cohort that came on in 2020, yeah. I would consider myself the more mainstream financial guys sure. that like started to realize, oh, this is there's an answer here. 2024 feels like it's going to be more of the masses, more of retail. You know, like there's that, there's always that kind of analogy of like, if there's a fire in a theater, the first, you know, five person that that runs out, you're like, everyone's just looking around, then 50 people run out. And if there's a thousand people in there, by the time the next 200 run out, you don't even need to know there's a fire. If everyone's running, you're running. And I feel like 2024 has the potential to kind of sort of be that. So what's the catalyst? Is it, I know a lot of people say that the next thing is like an inflation, another inflationary spell, which I think is possible. You're watching, it's funny, you know, to talk about Powell in the States and, you know, even Tiff here to some extent talking about how inflation is heading the right direction. Oil's, I think, under $90 a barrel still. It's going to not be $90 a barrel forever. And, you know, once you start to see that go up, inflation goes with it. Yeah. And I'll tell you, we already see, so with some certainty where rates are, we've started to see multiple offers in real estate yeah. on multi-million dollar properties here in Oakville. It's that, back. Didn't, that didn't exist yeah. like nine months ago. Yeah. Honestly, two months, six weeks ago. It was crickets. Yeah. There wasn't a single property. Um, actually, Ruben was just telling me there wasn't a single property in all of Halton that sold over. I think it was three. No, no, it must have been five. But you have. Now. But you. the point is you have the signal now. They've, they've given you. So inflation's coming down. But if you just map out yeah. 12 months to 18 months from now, you can yeah. see this decade. I think Lynn Alden always talks about it, how it's going to be very volatile. Like it, things will shoot up sure. and they will shoot down and shoot up. Whereas mm-hmm. the t- 2010s was very consistent. It was like this slow grind. So, what's, so what was the difference in the two? In my, it, I, I'd be curious to hear, well, what is her opinion? You tell me, you read the book. Uh, her opinion, oh, from the book, no, this is more her current stuff. That, her opinion is just that the amount of debt against the GDP is to such a large yep. level, it creates an, an instability that can't easily be solved. It's an instant problem when rates go up. Instant, it's, because they just keep accumulating the debt and you need inflation to be high to get out of the debt spiral, but it kills your population and it kills your currency. So what do you do? So you're in a fiscal dominance point of view where the 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 things that you are doing to try to solve the problem are actually making the problem worse. Yeah, yeah. And that's where we are. So it's de- fiscal dominance, debt spiral, however you want to call it. It seems like we're at the, the beginning swirl. I truly believe, honestly, that one of the biggest problems, I've said this a few times today, I say it on our show all the time, one of the biggest problems that governments have is that they have lost the ability to control narrative. And you can say what you want about Musk and, you know, is he an anti-Semite? I don't know. I don't pay attention to what he says. It doesn't matter to me. Twitter has become so important as a offshoot of what traditional media wants you to hear and see. You can get stuff there that you can't get anywhere else. The, the Do you think we would have had this problem with inflation or, uh, you know, put the interest rates under the microscope that we did or look at CPI as sort of frequently and with as much of a, you know, as much Mm -hmm. care as we do without Twitter being freely available. There's no way. There's no way. Agreed. And and so like when you see this stuff, I I think to Lynn's point, she's right about the death problem. I think the bigger problem is that everyone can see that the emperor has no clothes now. And you look at the stock market, you know, S&P is, uh, what I say, it's like a you know a stone's throw from all time highs. Bitcoin, the last time we had a halving and a cut cycle was trading at three thousand. Now it's at forty. 
Right. So where's it? So where's it going to go when they start cutting and easing? And and they are go, they are getting it's somewhat scary. It's it is scary because they are getting into ease and please territory mm-hmm. with the election and with people suffering here in Canada. I mean, Macklem can say whatever he wants about rates and 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 but financial just the grocery bills, man. Good luck, man. People need people need to eat and they need to be able to afford their, afford their mortgage. I think the number you know was it forty six billion or something coming due mortgages next two years. You you would know twenty twenty five is the big one. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, are they really going to renew? No, and by the, the way. Bank don't lose. And, and by the way, people are like, oh, uh, no, trust me, it'll be fine. We're going we're gonna to get rates down. Down to what? Four? Going from two or one to four is still going to knock you on your ass if you're a homeowner with a job that's less secure Agreed. than before, with a grocery bill I that's I wonder if they just higher. extend amortizations. They will for sure. I mean, Freeland's talking about working with lenders. What else does that mean? Mm. Well, I mean, no one's been able to then the banks them. get to, everything's fine, extend yeah. away, yeah. pay your debt for a hundred years, yeah. we'll amortize you up. I, it's funny, like the... When you're growing up as a millennial, you hear a lot, at least I did, this could be a uniquely Italian problem, honestly, but I always heard that you shouldn't be, you know, playing in the debt arena. You don't want to take debt, no credit card debt. Sure. Credit card I get, but like no line of credit, little as little mortgage as you can. Now, you know, my wife and I want to buy a car, a truck, right? Because we're, we're hoping to have a kid in the next year and we got a dog and all this other cool. shit and her, her car's like a thousand years old. So is mine, honestly. But she gets the car, of course. <laughs> a story for another time. Anyway, and she gets to park in the garage. So anyways, uh, I, I said to her, you know, what kind of car do you want? She wants a Touareg or a CRV or a Ford okay. Escort or something or an Escape, whatever those big SUVs are. I don't know what they're called. And she goes, should we finance it? I said, for fucking sure we're going to finance it because at the end of three years, you're going to be able to get that car payment out of your fucking couch. That money's going to be worth so little. That's where your brain goes. Yeah. And, so, and so why not? And so millennials now, again, are starting to see like, I should just be financing everything. I started, you know what I started doing, by the way? I started using, I started using. It's dangerous to talk like this, but crazy. it's hard to argue against. I started using buy now, pay later for anything over 500 bucks. What's that? Bucks. You, anything over 500 bucks that I buy, whether it's for the studio. Oh, you just mean, you, you just mean as a concept, anything, as a way of living. Anything, I always use buy now, pay later now because I, I would rather. You are capable. Rather, I'm scared for most people Some to people do that. can't do it, yeah, fine. Yeah, but yeah. but like, I, 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 gotta, I'm, I gotta live by this mantra. I gotta start doing it at every possible opportunity because I'd rather give the money to Bitcoin or the stock market than give it to these guys because if you if you think like i bought a bunch of christmas gifts at lululemon okay this is like three weeks ago now and so i saw my second payment you're prepared I, I saw my second payment come out today it was like 130 dollars. so i split what's that times four i don't know it's like 700 bucks let's say or 500 bucks mm-hmm. you split that payment into four and every so instead i just paid the first payment and then i put the other three into bitcoin that was three weeks ago how's that going for me now pretty good mm-hmm. you could literally put it anywhere and watch it grow because asset inflation is continuing to to mm-hmm. expand and accelerate right i think a lot of people are going to start doing this in every facet of their life Bitcoin. once once they figure it out because then and then are millennials figure figuring it out for sure you think so my friends this are, gives me hope my friends this gives me hope my friends are not bitcoiners they're figuring it out yeah. your son is younger than me he has it figured out his mm-hmm. friends have it figured out i i go back to that sneaker kid all the time he's buying shoes on debt and selling, because he knows he just has to hold them for six months or a year, most of the time, right? And to your point earlier, um, not today, but other times we've spoken, you know, when you're talking about things like, you know, locking in a variable rate mortgage or locking in a fixed rate mortgage, the, the rates have a bias to go lower the same way that assets have a bias to go higher. Mm. So why would you ever fight the trend? The other thing that you have to think about is if the trend does break, okay, the least of your worries is going to be the tiny bit of debt in the grand scheme you've accumulated that now is not, you know, sort of working in your favor. If you have to eat 
canned sardines and kill your neighbor for resources, okay? It's not going to be a problem. And I think, not that we're getting there, but the, the idea that this is just going to somehow go the other way in the next two or three years, I think, is wrong. These guys are going to continue to inflate and push asset prices higher because it, it is to their benefit. And whether it hurts the you know broader economy or you and me or people who are you know a little lower on the income scale, people who are who are sort of asymmetrically underinformed, unfortunately, they're gonna they're gonna suffer a lot, man. They're gonna suffer. Which a is lot. why I'm pumped to know that you and Len are doing what you do. Honestly, like the way you are committed. Because sometimes I see you guys doing your show. And I'll, you know, pop in and kind of watch you guys for a little bit. And I just, I really, I think this sounds cheesy. I don't fucking care. I just feel great that there's people like you out there so committed to this. I mean, you guys are doing the same thing, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we're speaking to two different audiences, but I think we all have the same ideas and same hopes for the future in mind. Yeah. But you guys are committed. You don't have to be doing this. And every week you're out there pounding the table on this message. Are you noticing a change in your audience at all? Yes. Oh, awesome. We used to get, we used to get, uh, again, Len like talked me into doing the live stream thing years ago. So we, we stream on Mondays and Wednesdays. We used to get, I figured that would be your thing. Len push for that. Because I would rather, I would rather just talk to Len. Len makes me, you guys are, but you're, you're the perfect duo together. He says this all the time where his strengths end, my begin and vice versa. For sure. That's true. But like, you know, we used to get 20, 30 people. Now some of these live streams have 60 people in the Monday nights. Awesome. Are you telling me? And like the show continues to grow. We've got great sponsors who are supportive of us saying and doing the things we want and now you know like we again this is like a more content than it is bitcoin or millennial stuff but it's funny to, to your point earlier about what does it take to kind of you know become sovereign become someone who can move you know when the time is right mm-hmm. when the opportunities present, present themselves we started doing cbp in 2021 and we had basically no equipment i had a zoom h6 that i had used for a show before and two $50 mics I bought off Amazon. I was borrowing XLR cables from my brother who's in a band, and we put the stuff together and recorded at my table a few nights. Great, people liked it. We did the show with basically no equipment for almost two years, nothing. I was using like a webcam and a shitty, the same shitty mic for like two years. Whose table, Len's house, your house? We, we started doing it on Zoom because he didn't want to drive. Oh, got it. Because we were in lockdown. That's awesome. So he didn't want to- That's right, actually. Yeah, so we were locked yeah, down, yeah, yeah. right? And so he didn't want to drive. I said, okay, we'll do it on Zoom, whatever. And so we did it on Zoom. And then that was gave me the opportunity to do the stream. We didn't spend any real money on the production quality of the show until this year. And so now- you know, to your point about whether or not the message is getting out. Yeah, I got people who want to come to my house. They want to travel to come to my awesome. house and do it in person. And you should come too. Yeah. I'd be happy Anytime. to have you. Yeah, and, and, and like the, these things these things tell me that more people are understanding. And it's not guys who are 60 coming into the live, live streams. And it's not guys who are 60 mm-hmm. showing up in the play numbers. And if I look at how much money CBP has pushed through bull Bitcoin in five months, six months of them sponsoring us, it Amazing. is, it's, I'll tell you the number after it's nuts. Amazing. How many people are buying Bitcoin? Amazing. Those, I think those are mostly young people and that spells, you know, disaster, I think for, for the government and for some of these policies, because you need these guys to stay and be content and work. And to me, if I look at these things together, it doesn't sound like they are right. And so if they're not, how do you fix that? I would argue that you're too late. I wonder if the, when the ETF comes out, they just ban hardware wallets with Elizabeth Warren. Thing. It's like ETFs come out, try. but we've also, sorry, by December 31st, 2024, if you're not back onto Coinbase well, or in Canada into what, whatever, you can no longer bring it back. You're done. Did they, did they not try and do this? 
on tax forms two or three years ago what wallets belong to you what bitcoin wallets i don't think it was tax forms i think i remember when you were taking out to a hardware wallet some of the exchanges in canada started to over a thousand bucks you have to you have to yeah submit to that now shake pay has been doing that for some time which i don't yeah have they yeah there's nothing you who have been the biggest sponsors to your show biggest supporters who've been committed to you guys uh like company wise yeah man i would say shake pay was a great sponsor for about a year and a half uh but i think we you know, I'll share what I can. I think that we ended up having a, a sort of, you know, misalignment in vision, mm-hmm. um, Shake Pay and us. And to Len's credit, you know, he's really had this crystal ball as to when we should part with sponsors and when we should talk about, you know, going no sponsor for a while. And we've done that too. Um, I would say honestly that the two companies we're using now, like EasyDNS, Mark Jeftovic has been on your show. Mm-hmm. He's talk, awesome. Man. Talk about an incredible sponsor, okay? This guy wrote a book called Unassailable, which is basically a big middle finger to people who want to cancel you. He <laughs> runs a company that hosts content, okay? He owns so many cool domains that he's running basically like- His newsletter is like Bomb Thrower, I think. Bomb Thrower, dollarcollapse.com. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's right. You know, when-, when uh, Interesting guy. What was the um, nodeless? Uh, which was a, a pay implementation, a payment implementation, just got taken down by the Canadian okay. government. Mark took the GitHub source, bought nodeless.io, and now if you go to node, oh, wow, I didn't know. you can run your own. It's all there oh, wow. for you. Yeah. So we need a, we need Mark out there. Like guys like that. And I think about Bull Bitcoin who sponsored us. Like, is there a, is there a more hardcore guy than Francis Puyat? No. There's not. Yeah. And I'll tell you, me and Leonard in a couple of group chats with like the Bull Bitcoin team, they're extremists. They're extremists. Yeah. In all the best ways, yeah. Mike. My, my they're uncle, also the nicest. I will tell you, they're, they're the nicest people ever. They have helped some of our clients who are brand it's new amazing. to Bitcoin. Hours. I will tell you, hours yeah. on the phone, yeah. walking. They don't care. Cold they cart. don't care. And uh, to to their credit, you know, they come to our live show on Monday nights, and people are asking questions about the hardware wallet, and they're picking them off. No way. Hundred percent. And that you can't. You don't get that in a corpo speak no. environment. Yeah. Those guys are committed to the mission. They're. Again, like my uncle and his uh, girlfriend, they're coming for Christmas this year, as they always do. And I remember the first time I had Francis on, they're like, we put on an episode of your show and you had some guy. He was like, <laughs> It's funny, I'll tell you, at the event that we just had in, in October, some people pulled me aside and they kind of whispered. And not that anyone could hear us, but they whispered the <laughs> saying, um, you know, that guy, Francis, that he's podcast not. you had on with Francis, I really enjoyed that he's one. Amazing. But they're almost whispering like they didn't want to admit they enjoyed yeah, it. Sure, you know, sure. <laughs> they're like, I really, can you get that guy back on again? I, I listened really to that. I listened to that on the way to uh, Washington in October. I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah. I think that guy, that guy he just is goes. Like, yeah. I know because, well, think Tom, like he's seen, you know, he's worked in finance. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's seen Bitcoin kind of grow and develop into this thing that was for tech geeks. And now it's for like, you know, we're mm-hmm. trying to pass the suits. The one thing I worry about is, you know, it, the ETF, uh, maybe we can finish with this. I don't know how much time you got, but the, the ETF is, is I think a bit concerning to me and it sounds like it might be to you too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big push now to eliminate or really take down the serrated edge of self-custody uh, by modern You government. can see it. That's their... Sn- it's not even It's not even like they're trying to hide it, right? No. Or in talking yeah. about, you know, uh, self-hosted wallets. Yeah. Oh, you're the criminal. The if you buy it through the BlackRock ETF, you're the yeah. good guy. Yeah. yeah. So they're going to do two things. Like, you're the good guy and you support capitalism and the American economy sure. if you buy it through the ETF. But if you have a wallet, oh my gosh, you're one of the For, bad guys. You're the criminal it, right? and you're, you're anti-American. They'll keep doing this. And the ETF bothers me because I think it gives them an avenue, like you said. Agreed. Really, That's to, what's kind of bothering yeah, me about to it. To really, to really put away. I could do without it for a, a lot longer. The, we, you only have like three weeks now. 
It feels like it. It's, it's going to be in the next mm-hmm. three weeks. Yeah, they'll, they'll approve it. And then you have a month, somewhere between a week and a month before it starts trading. You saw the Van Eck advertisement yesterday. I'm yeah. sure the most yeah. interesting man in the yeah. world doing yeah. Bitcoin. Like, yeah. It's you know, coming. It's coming. It's, it's, it's almost yeah. there. And uh, the, the thing that bothers me about the ETF is, you know, did we really do our job as Bitcoiners, as content creators, and as, you know, people who care about the future of society, honestly, to go a little bit... Um, a little bit bigger picture. Do we really do our job if all the Bitcoin ends up in the hands of the fucking students anyways? I know. I don't know. I know. It's very difficult to imagine that we've done the right things if at the end of the day, we're still in the same boat we were before. Now, it doesn't give them control of the network. It doesn't necessarily give them control of- Luckily, a whole bunch of coins already been out there. I know. A lot of people holding, right? Uh, the The number of addresses with more than one coin is at an all time high. Number of addresses with 0.1 coins is like sky high now, mm-hmm. which tells me either people are taking transactions and UTXO control seriously, or we're really expanding the number of people who own Bitcoin. Yeah, it could be one or the other. Yeah. Well, Armstrong tweets out that like 38 million Americans have registered with Coinbase, basically. Mm-hmm. So if that's the number, that's pretty good. You know, what yeah. is in Canada? I feel a big chunk of your generation understands the real reasons to own Bitcoin. I know Aiden's generation, a bunch of his, but sure. they really understand. Sure. Like they're just coming in, whereas this is native to them now. Yeah. They're like, we get it. They've never thought about anything else. No. They, they, you don't have to, con- like the, the number of like points of friction to get someone onboarded is less and less. For guys your age and older, it's, real estate, gold, and electronic kind of illiteracy, right? Mm -hmm. Technology illiteracy. Then for guys my age, it's uh, uh, real estate gold, but the illiteracy piece on the tech side is gone. Gone. Then for Aiden's age, there's nothing about real estate, nothing about gold. You can't afford either of them and you don't have the tech illiteracy, I'm in. For the next kids, fucking forget about it, right? QR codes, send it, he receive it. And so I think that the, the government you know, sort of capital G governments around the world are on the clock for the kids that are like 10, 11, 12 now. Because if you wait six years, to get all this stuff in place and make sure people can't custody, you will lose immediately, immediately to those kids because the older brothers and sisters and the parents will already be on board. You, you got the weird part is we've control. talked a lot about the negativity that exists right now in the economy. And, but on the other side of this, yeah, there is a beautiful future. For sure. And I'm kind of hoping I get to see some of that to tell you the truth. You, would, you will for sure. I think I will. It's a lot But I, I do feel think. like it gets a little rocky for a few years and it's going to test people. It's going to test people's principles. It's going to test how people's is it, ability. Okay, so how is it not rocky now? Like how much more, because I look around. I just I feel like the government threats now. will be serious. Like I feel like there's going to be a moment where you're going to have to choose. Holy shit. Do I put my Bitcoin on a regulated Canadian exchange yeah. or do I go wild? You think, eh? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, maybe. How do they not go there? Like, how do they not go there? Well, the when, thing, the, when someone explains to them that we're all starving the beast, yeah. and then once we've starved the beast, that capital does not have to come back into their shitty version of yeah, capital. Exactly. We can keep it out here, and we are deciding now what happens. It's pretty It's pretty whack that... Um, well, I lost my train of thought. No, it's pretty whack that uh, you know we're, we're going through this like thought experiment where government will literally <laughs> no, I, confiscate your assets, right? The, so again the concern that people should have is that there is a slow but steady and has been a slow but steady erosion in your personal sort of set of rights, your property rights. These are the, these are things that are the, the, maybe the most central pillar to a functioning society. Mm -hmm. There is no capitalism without property rights. If you are working, you need to be working for yourself or the incentives fall apart. If they start going this direction, you know, they will lose credibility with a lot of the population. That population will try and leave. Like I said before, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how much rockier it gets only because it seems to me that Bitcoin as a as like a technology group is figuring out slowly that there's no point in engaging with these people in good faith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're slowly figuring that out. I'm, dis- on. I'm disappointed with like ShakePay and, you know, Brad Mills and um, Scott Wolf are going to come on CBP in February. 
and I plan on holding their feet to the fire. Like, why do you guys think that this is worth your time? Anytime you make headway, they change the rules on you. They change definition. Why? What are they? I, I don't follow. They're what doing it. They're doing, uh, they started the Canadian Bitcoin coalition. So Magdalena provoked like Bitcoin mags, whatever okay. her name is, uh, Brad, Scott, and a few others, I think, um, have done this, you know, basically lobbying group or started this lobbying. To start benefit. engaging with the government. But my question is why? What, what? evidence do you have that this is going to be successful? It should almost be reversed. Ever. The government should ask. I mean, the government's never going to, they're never going to get down and beg, but they should, <laughs> they're close. Right. And so I, I just wonder like, you know, are we, are we getting to that point where people are going to start to realize that there's better places to spend our time and money? Maybe, but maybe not Tom. And if they're, if they don't, then for you and me, it's great content. And for people who don't own Bitcoin, it's a, you know, a world of pain. You're going to be stuck in the CBDC algorithm ghetto, you know, one piece of meat per month for you, buddy. And that's it. You know, by the way, as we wrap here, we should say that Joey did ship some Joey and Len ship some meat to the rockstar office. <laughs> And then they took the meat. They came delete to pick this. up the meat. Whoever edits came, this, delete They this came to pick up the meat. And we were left with less meat than we had originally because you guys took your meat plus some of the I don't know we had in our fridge. What meat did Len take? <laughs> I don't know. Because I only got, he came I in got secretly. Two, no I got one supervised steaks. the guy. I got and we trust you guys. So we let him loose on our freezer. That really is your problem. Yeah, okay. that's yeah. our problem. That's, Len, a, that's a your life, your yeah. time's problem. But uh, so the Canadian Bitcoiners, I feel like, yeah, I'm just very thankful you guys are out there. I genuinely. I appreciate it. And just if you guys are ever doing like... I, I I don't know. I just feel like the, if you're going to do meetups, it's we've had so across the country. We've had so much support. We've had so much support from you guys, man. Like we did a joint meetup last summer. With I don't feel like success. we've done anything. We've been for you guys. we've been really busy, and we're going to expand. Uh, if you give me, uh, if you indulge me here for a sec, CBP is expanding in a major way. We're adding in-person shows, like I mentioned, which is going to be huge for us. Uh, we have some other podcasts that are episode with episodes in the tank that we're waiting to turn loose. Um, I do a show with my brother-in-law and his friend. It's, it's called two whites and a blue. It's a lot of millennial finance. It's very blue. I will say, uh, there's beers involved almost every week, but it's a lot of real conversations that awesome. have resonated with a lot of people over the years. And Len and I are looking to continue to grow the brand and get the message to people that, Hey man, things may look bleak, but if you got your friends, your finances, and your family in order, you're gonna be a lot happier. World's your oyster. Let us help you. Let us help you. Right. Awesome. You guys do the same thing. Awesome. Yeah. Joey. God bless. Thank buddy. you, man. So thank get, you. hand out. So the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast you should find anywhere you get a yeah, podcast. Yeah. Come Joey, to the stream on Monday nights, seven o'clock. It's fucking busy. Every Monday yeah. live, seven o'clock. Got it. On Twitter at Joey Tweets. Yeah. Three. Is there a URL for the podcast? CanadianBitcoiners.com is the website. Canadian Yeah. We write. Len and I write some stuff on that website. We post it sometimes. Um, if you're a writer or you want to write for us, feel free. Because God knows I don't want to fucking do it. So I'm doing it right now. But uh, you fucking millennials. Yeah. You fucking millennials. Tweets only. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Joey. Tom. Thanks, man. Thank Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Joey. Again, you can find him on Twitter at Joey Tweets. He is co-host of the Canadian Bitcoiners podcast. They go live Mondays at seven o'clock. Definitely check them out. And if you want to check out what we're doing a little further with the Rockstar Inner Circle membership, you can visit rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member for that. That's rockstarinnercircle.com forward slash member. That's it for this episode. Until next time, your life, your terms.